Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm ready to climb that grease flagpole. Today, we are talking about Minute 22, which begins with Steve entering his training montage and ends with Sergeant Duffy's flagpole challenge. Joining us again on the show today, we have Father David Mowry back. Welcome back. Let's talk about uh, the montage. Yes, the montage. But but first, can you can you fellas get, kind of get me down from this rope wall? I I I, I <laughs> there was a whole obstacle course set up to get in into the recording studio today, and I'm I'm just I'm kind of just you know yeah, yeah thanks yeah and so and just, much barbed wire uh, oh, okay. so much yeah I, barbed wire I, mean, I really appreciate the dedication to the verisimilitude here. It really puts me in the spirit of. <laughs> Of the training montage here, <laughs> we like to really put put our <laughs> put our guests to the yeah. challenge when they join us, <laughs> and we're going to choose that guest exactly. So, all right, so we start off. Uh, we're still in the barracks. This is uh, we do find we do reveal that it is Steve who is taking these books out. Uh, we already knew that, but yes, yeah, Steve mm-hmm. is taking his books out. He's getting organized. Meanwhile, and this is just I mean you know it's a montage. This is a, a very quick thing to show us like the types of soldiers that we have here, because going on behind, you have three soldiers uh, just kind of horsing around, uh, kind of pushing each other and stuff like that. Some of the others are like making their beds and stuff, but that's generally what's happening in the barracks. And Steve just kind of looks at them. He does, It's not like he's judging them. He's just kind of looking to see this is what's going on here. I do like that. We have Steve unpacking books while we have three meatheads fighting in the background. <laughs> It says a lot. Yes, he's exercising his mind. Mm-hmm. The most powerful muscle of all. Hodge doesn't even know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. <laughs> What's interesting is here in the script, when we cut in here, we actually cut to Hodge, who actually is uh, hanging up pictures of women on his uh, by his bed. So... It's a little more spelled out, you know, didn't need to necessarily go there in the film. I'm glad that they didn't bother. I think that we just get enough. We've already had so much with Hodge uh, just from the last moment. It's like we don't need to keep defining this very specific difference between these two guys. There is there is such a thing as too much. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, for, at, at the cost of efficiency, like the most important thing about the montage here is well i mean competing interests with the montage and frankly this is a this is a i think a challenge with the montage is it's not just a training montage you also have to be able to hear what tommy lee jones is saying and i'm not going to lie to you it feels like it took me three watches through this movie to realize he was telling us exactly what was going to happen that we're going to pick one person out of the lot of you he's describing the entire thing that's about to happen but there's so much activity in the montage and so much, you know, struggle and Steve falling off the ropes and everybody laughing at him. Like there are a lot of competing emotional elements in this in this montage that uh, are, uh, you know, I can see how you get to the other end of the montage and just Tommy Lee Jones is essentially a a peanuts parent, you know, (laughs) yeah, but and the visuals don't communicate what Tommy Lee Jones is saying. Yeah. And so I, I love me a montage. And I was I was watching a video that was analyzing the montage from the Hudsucker proxy, which goes through the whole development oh, and marketing yep. of the hula hoop, you know, for kids. Right. And it's a great montage, but there's no voiceover. 
is right. all done through the the connection of the shots and the pacing and the the editing that communicates everything you need to know about the the marketing and the development and the lackluster sales and then the big turnaround and all the kids buying one it, it's such a great you know, if, if folks have not seen the Hudsucker proxy I recommend they go and see because it it's a very unique Coen Brothers movie it, it's one of the sunniest of their movies yeah um, right, and right. in this it makes me wonder wonder if we had a little more confidence in the audience we could do without Tommy Lee Jones monologue. Now, far be it for me to say we need less Tommy Lee Jones in a movie, but I think that you could have communicated things like the um, the elimination of candidates by like having a shot of names being stricken off a list or you know, some kind of. Uh, you know, some some kind of shots that establish kind of getting settled into the camp. But again, like I said yesterday, there's so much story this movie needs to do that you need to cram as much information into these minutes as possible. Right. Well, and that's funny because, yeah, it's not like we ever really see anybody like eliminated, you know, to mm -hmm. the again, going back to this whole idea of these being candidates that they're looking for, as opposed to just new recruits who they are running through basic training to send off. Right. They, it just, they're intentionally here because they are supposedly being, um, you know, looked at as candidates for the super soldier program. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and uh, I'll be honest, there are so many soldiers at this camp that it does make me wonder, is this just a basic training camp? There are a lot of soldiers here who actually are just training for basic training. And maybe what's happening is like, as people are whittled out, they're just moved over to a different uh, uh, barracks mm -hmm. where they're just jumping into, okay, now you're just going to be a regular soldier and you're just going to head over there. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, it's, it, it's ill-defined. If it was that kind of process, though, let's all be honest, Steve wouldn't make it past the first day. No, so right. it has it has to be a battery of tests. And then we evaluate at the end of the test rather than there being a kind of rolling elimination. Well, but see, look, I, I think where we're going with the end of this minute, that part of the montage where everybody gets their turn at the flagpole, that's an example of a sequence in a montage that communicates why Steve would be allowed to stay. Right. Like that is those kinds of sequences where we see some people failing and getting their names crossed off and some people getting their hands shaken um, and getting rides back to barracks is is how you communicate this without the droning, you know, the requirement of the droning voiceover, which which I, I don't think uh, to me, it doesn't work. But to your point, you know, do you ever go wrong with too much Tommy Lee Jones. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> well, no, but fine. yeah, I mean, but it's not like the hand jive, right? Like somebody's not walking through tapping the shoulder, say, okay, you're out of here. They're giving, given a week. I mean, it still isn't a lot of time, but we, if we, if you are paying attention to the voiceover, he does say at the end of this week, yeah. we will choose right. that man. So that was so, so potentially, wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. Just one, one week to, to test your metal. Talk about something you've never heard. One week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. Uh, so it, it's interesting that they're given so little time. But really, and I guess that's the idea is that, you know, you may suck at the beginning, but if you really try hard, you could actually work your way up to becoming somebody mm -hmm. great by the end of the week. And I guess that's the intention. Can I can I go back to a, another point? What exactly does this have to do with the hand jive from Greece? I'm just saying the hand jive, you know, it the person felt... is there as they dance. 
as they're doing their thing, somebody's walking around and eliminating them, and then you're out. So this isn't like the dance contest in Greece. That's where my brain went. I don't know why okay. my brain went that to was, Greece. I just like to know things about you, and that <laughs> that you went to hand jive is one that I wanted to make sure that we really we really drilled in on. Uh, I mean, this, I this, this you. minute doesn't have a lot going on, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to, to do a deep dive into your how psyche. Does, how does Andy's brain work? Mm-hmm. Everything's better when it's a musical. Don't you know that, right, Pete? Right. <laughs> now, with, with all of the, the comments I've made about you know some of the weaknesses of this particular montage, still, there are some really great editing moments in this montage. You know, Phillip's line about it starts with one man and you get... Steve's head swinging upside down into shot at that moment, just perfectly timed between the shots and the narration, because that is the one man this new army is going to start with. But he is upside down. He is not the right way up yet. And it's it's not the start that Phillips or anyone else is looking for. But Erskine is the only one who's standing on his head who actually sees the world right side up. And they consistently do that. And I just have to call out Sergeant Duffy, who we have, we introduce here mostly through voice, but we do finally see him. That's Damon J. Driver, who plays Sergeant Duffy. Uh, Just so you know, his known for on IMDb, this film, uh, the new Canaan Revelations. I'm not sure what that is, but he, Hmm. uh, he was the writer on that. And then he was on Game of Thrones. And I'm guessing that this is why he's here and why he works probably on projects like this over in the UK, because he is the military trainer over there. He did military oh. training on Game of Thrones, on Band of Brothers, uh, and and Game of Thrones is his third. And then the he was the writer on Sedition. That's the third thing that he is known for, which was, uh, let's see, what was that? Oh, it's in development. Oh, it's in development. There you go. Yeah. So, which which you rarely see in IMDb. But again, he's one of those people who's kind of a minor player in projects, mostly known as kind of the uh, military trainer. Uh, but that's, that is Sergeant Duffy. And he comes in as the voice that is kind of almost the mirror of those lines that you were just calling out, uh, Father David, where, where uh, you know, Colonel Phillips is saying every army starts with one man. He Then he falls and is hanging upside down. And you just hear this little voice kick in, Rogers, get off of there. <laughs> and he kind of keeps po- popping up like that like yeah. later when, um, the, and then of course, this is where we have that bully moment of Hodge where he kicks the uh, the the arm of the, holding up the barbed wire and it falls down on, on uh, Steve as he's crawling under it. And uh, and you have Colonel Phillips saying he'll be the next or the first in a new breed of super soldiers. And then, of course, you have Sergeant Duffy. Rogers, get that rifle out of the mud. Yeah, <laughs> I love that the sergeant's more great. worried about the rifle than he is. Uh, right. about <laughs> Yeah. Roger, that's great drill sergeant stuff, because that that is the kind of thing a drill sergeant would have to do is to inculcate an attentiveness to equipment because a soldier is responsible for his pack and his gear and so he has especially for if you've got new recruits they have to be aware that you can't just drag the rifle through the mud and expect it to work you have to be aware even as you're in this difficult situation of all the gear you're carrying because the soldier has to be ready after going through hell and high water to fire and to to fight yeah right, now you, exactly. you mentioned hodge kicking out the 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 post on this barbed wire course. A lot of anxiety going on with that. A lot yeah. of anxiety. I didn't care for it. Yeah, I mean, I because honestly, I was more worried about Hodge than I was about Rogers, because his face is really close <laughs> to the barbed <laughs> wire. And I was, frankly, I was surprised that he would be able to turn over 
like yeah. that. Yeah. Because in the shot with Rogers, that barbed wire is close. There's not a lot of clearance there. And Hodge must have found the the divot or something, the ditch where there's where a little more room be, to, yeah, to operate. Sure. And I'm also, you know, frankly, I'm surprised that Hodge doesn't get reprimanded because this is not okay. This is going to slow everything down for everyone. I mean, yeah. yeah, he's bullying Rogers, and the drill sergeant doesn't seem so bothered about that. But just in terms of operational efficiency, this is not okay. Right. It's right. very much a, a bully move, as as oh, opposed yeah. to when they're on climbing the cargo net, right? Yeah. Uh, because there, he just looks down and laughs yeah. at the fact that that Rogers, you know, fell and got his feet tangled, hanging upside down, mm-hmm. and that is like, uh, you know, more just like, oh, you're just a loser sort of thing. And this thing, though, you're right, it is something that's like, I mean, people are going to have to now stop all of this. They're going to have to walk through this. I don't even know how you do this in context of of repairing this. Like mm-hmm. somehow you have to get through it to get that post back up that's like a lot of work yeah but if you're a drill sergeant do you i mean stuff happens on the battlefield maybe steve just has to dig his way out well that steve <laughs> does keep going which is why yeah. the sarge yells Head down at him. Mm-hmm. yeah with his rifle in the mud <laughs> his rifle in the mud yeah it's that it's that is it's an interesting little moment um, this is, I mean, in context of montages, it's a fairly short montage because that's kind of it. We end up at this, uh, at the, the trail where they're running and we come up on the soldiers running. We see this flag. It took me, this is a very difficult flag to read because it's flapping in the wind like mm-hmm. crazy. You know that they had some, uh, wind machine just blowing this thing to get, get it visible like this. But I did finally, was, I was able to pull it out. It says Nuli Secundus, which apparently in Latin means second to none. Mm-hmm. 1914, 1942, Camp Lehigh. So that's the flag. It's just a, a, a flag for the camp. Um, I like that. I like this element. It, I, but I have a question for you both. Is this idea of, this kind of contest to get a flag down does it does it feel like this has become too tropey to climb up i mean i i know all i can think of is mulan i feel Be like it's something that, yeah exactly exactly i feel like it's out there more though but, that is my uh, that know. is my precise note for this minute it's just be a man <laughs> with little music notes next to it <laughs> yeah i just um, wrote the mulan flag moment but. Mm-hmm. I, I it it is it is for my generation, at least because I, I came of age in the 90s. So any kind of scene like this for me is just going to trigger that memory of Mulan. Um, I don't know if this is I, I can't think of any other movies where I've seen this kind of thing. There's there's this idea of do the impossible task and get a reward and we don't expect the hero to do it. And oh, my gosh, the hero does it. Um, and there's a nice there's uh, there's a nice payoff for this that we'll talk about tomorrow. It's. It's kind of something where, for me, as with any trope, so long as it, it's not the, the problem is not that there is a trope. The The problem is always in the execution of the trope. And if you can really polish something and, and do something a little bit different with it, I don't mind it. So in this situation, like, OK, I know as a moviegoer, as someone who has seen a movie before, OK, Steve Rogers is going to get this flag, but how is he going to do it? And that's where the reward comes in, where you may know the setup, but you don't know how it's going to happen. And in Mulan, it's the solution is more akin to climbing the pole than it is to something that a, a scrawny kid from Queens is going to have to do. How does she do it in Mulan again? Oh, she it's not the arrows. She like uses she got she has those weights and so she wraps those around and uses those as uh a a kind of a climbing 
gear. It's almost like when you're climbing a palm tree or something to, yes. to trim the thing. Yeah, yeah. right. That Just sort of counterbalance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And they do it. They did it in uh, Cobra Kai. Um, uh, you, I, I, any, any Cobra Kai fans in the room? <laughs> Cobra <laughs> Kai fans in the room? So Crease uh, puts a puts a pot on top of a six foot pole and says, you know, get get kick it off the the pole and and everybody kicks tries to kick it and they can't do it and then somebody kicks the pole and knocks it off so uh it's it's that whole brain over brawn uh thing it's not it's funny like i think about it and i think well surely that's been used a million times and apart from those i can't think of any others uh any other like clear examples of this particular trope that make it a trope I, I don't I actually did a did some digging and I ended up, you know, on one of our favorite sites, the TV tropes dot org uh, website, which is just fantastic. It always lists great tropes, mm-hmm. um, but it does have real life examples. And this is actually uh, interesting because it does tie into the military. There are two examples here on November the 25th, 1783, to signal the end of the American Revolution. The British greased a flagpole that still had the Union Jack raised before they left New York City. A man named John Van Arsdale managed to climb up the top and replace it with the American flag. But that's, I guess, part of the contest idea there. And then the other one, at the Naval Academy during graduation w- w- during graduation week, first-year cadets must climb a tall monument. It's about six hmm. meters high, smooth, and at the top is a hat that's worn by freshmen. The cadets must replace the hat with one wore by, worn by senior cadets. To make it even more difficult and force the freshmen to get creative and use teamwork, upperclassmen grease the monument heavily. Mm. So, grease the monument yeah, so there you go. Some real life examples of of them actually greasing flagpoles in order to kind of make this a big challenge for people. <laughs> okay, we've learned we've really learned something here today. It's it's important. These are the important. This is why we're here, Pete. Mm-hmm. That's right. This is why these we're life here. lessons. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, one other note about this area. This is not in the script. This whole bit with steve having to climb this flagpole Hmm. uh, or not climb the flagpole but this challenge about this flagpole and getting this flag so you can get a ride back to uh to the to the um uh barracks Mm -hmm. uh, since they're only at the halfway point um it's it, it i find this very interesting that it's set up this way um we're not we're not going to get uh, to kind of see the resolution of this till next time. Mm-hmm. But we do get the setup. Um, and it's not in the script. Um, and I want to talk to you about this, but maybe we'll save it for next week. What I do want to say is this this was actually done in, I'm assuming, in uh, some pickup uh, shots that they actually came back and added this whole bit. They filmed it at a place called Golden Oak Ranch, which uh, it was interesting to kind of learn a little bit about this because it was actually a place. It's up in uh, Newhall, California, uh, kind of north of the uh, the L.A. area. And Disney actually leased this back in the 50s to film bits of Spin and Marty and the Mickey Mouse Club. They ended up shooting a ton of things in here like Old Yeller and the Parent Trap, the Shaggy Dog. More recently, the hmm. Santa Claus, Pearl Harbor, Princess Diaries 2, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3. And uh, even the Country Bears. So they have used the this area bears. a ton. I know. Hey, everybody's favorite. A classic of modern <laughs> cinema. I, I, I can't wait to do the movies by minutes of that. But we'll save it for bears. when we're done with the MCU. Yeah. Bears. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to write that down somewhere and hold oh. us to it. Well, your, your comment about it being in pickup shots makes a lot of sense, because one of the notes I have is I absolutely love Haley Atwell's hair in this scene. I think it looks Fantastic. 
And now that I know it's a pickup shot, that kind of explains the question I had. Like, as much as I love this do, it's not the hair she has in the rest of the scenes. And Peggy Carter does not strike me as the kind of woman who's going to try a different hairstyle each day of the week that she's right. there. She's just going to do what works and just get through what needs to be done. So there must have been that that must have been what Haley's hair looked like or someone on continuity didn't really care too much about Peggy Carter's hairstyle. Yeah, they figured it's a different day or whatever it was. But yeah, it is different. And that's always one of those interesting things when you go back to look at these sorts of pickup shots. It's like, what is different here? Now, Steve is, you know, going through so much CG work anyway that mm-hmm. it's really difficult to tell, like, how much Chris Evans has changed from right. uh, from when they first shot to now. And unfortunately, we don't get great shots of uh, a lot of the rest of people. But really, it boils down to Haley Atwell and 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 her reactions here. So, yeah, she's got a great look. And uh, we'll see more of that uh, next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any last bits from either of you with this with this particular minute? No, uh, I just want to note that the ladies count is at one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, it is. True. I yes, feel like is. if this were a video podcast, we would need a digital one. Bling. Yeah, intern, can we just put that screen. up on the board? Yes. No. Okay. Yes. All right. But that's fine. Lady is on the board. <laughs> yes, we did at least have Connie and Bonnie earlier, and we had the Stark girls. So there have been other women in the film, but you know, minor. They, they have those had yet to pass the Bechdel test. However, <laughs> that's true. We'll note that is true. No, but what I what I mean here is that the the drill sergeant encourages the men by calling mm. them by the wrong gender. Yes. So ladies, our, our, that's our ladies right. count that's is at right. one here. Mm. Ah, yes, yes, that's yes, an yes. Excellent point. There it is. Yep. This is a blooming onion of misogyny we have going on right now. <laughs> ah, the military. Nineteen forties military. Nineteen forty. All right. Well, let's do the Christ in the Cape bit for today. What do you say? Oh, well, twist my arm. (laughs) So yesterday we talked about what the character of Captain America kind of gives insight into the person of the savior. But what about the saving itself? And so uh, longtime listeners of my beloviating will remember that this is soteriology, which comes from the Greek word meaning to save, soter. So how does Captain America save? And as I mentioned yesterday, this is a problem with the the person of, of Steve Rogers and Captain America, that he is already a good man and, and will hear not with my minutes, but next week, that point being made very emphatically and is very important to the character. But even though he's a good man, he's not yet a hero. He's not capable of saving. And so the salvation has to happen through strength. We talked yesterday about that spirit of the leader and of the men who follow are the ones who carry the day to victory. And Steve has not yet demonstrated that spirit of leadership yet. Uh, He is not one where he acts and others follow. Uh, No one else in the movie theater joins him in shushing the heel. Uh, Bucky is clearly the one taking the lead with the the double date. And that kind of spirit mentality, there's nothing in the montage that indicates that Steve is well-liked or disliked by anyone in the the group other than Hodge. We we don't get a sense that he's picked on by anybody else, nor do we get the sense that he's like, oh, you know, Steve Rogers, we have no idea why he's here, but he's a good guy. So it's not until 
we have Captain America in, in all of his well-oiled glory, that all of a sudden this possibility for leadership and this possibility for salvation comes out. Because he has strength of character, but he's not yet a leader. And and even after the Super Serum, you have, of course, that great musical number. Because again, boy, like I said, the first hour of this movie, man, just so many possibilities, so many good things. <laughs> but it's not until he actually risks physical danger that others follow him. So it's not enough uh, that his moral character is strong, and it's not enough that he's obviously a fine physical specimen. He has to do something to earn that esteem from others that starts the ball rolling of him being a superhero, of being one who can save the day and not just in the propaganda reels. And that kind of uh, that kind of idea of salvation again as a Catholic priest is is contrary to the story that I get up and tell every Sunday Sunday which is the scandal of the cross that what God does in Jesus Christ is something that does not look like strength it does not look like leadership it is something where weakness reveals the true power of love which is ultimately what saves this idea of willing the good of the other as other even in and especially in the face of evil in the face of sin and ultimately death and even to take a step back from that uniquely Christian model of leadership, just even if you look to the wisdom tradition, you know, honoring figures like Confucius, where there's an idea of leadership through wisdom, that it's not necessary that someone demonstrate physical strength or is willing to undergo great trials, that we can respect people who have a keen insight into the human condition, who are able to allow us to be more human. And so we look to saints and sages and prophets and teachers as people who we follow. I, mean, I, I know every single listener has someone in their life who is this kind of wisdom figure for them, where there has been this leadership, and in a very small way, but for all of us, that sense of salvation, that sense of being healed, of being set free. Maybe it was that teacher who helped us in high school. Maybe it was that coach who pushed us past our limits, where in each of these circumstances, there's a kind of leadership and a kind of strength where there's not uh, there's not needed the performance in the face of physical danger that we can recognize the goodness on its own terms. And again, as much as I love Captain America, he's my favorite Avenger and I, I love him two bits. There is this struggle that the world Captain America lives in does not recognize goodness on its own terms, that it needs to be proven. It needs to be shown. Now, that's because, you know, he, he lives in a comic book world and that that's how the story works. But in terms of how we appropriate the things this movie is trying to say about the human condition, it, it's important important to think about how we can demonstrate that spirit that Patton talks about in that quote from the Cavalry Journal and that leadership that Captain America does eventually demonstrate without needing the, so, the super soldier serum in order to do it. <laughs> There's always that in one of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Can't just have somebody being good. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, exactly. it is. It is one of those things, though. Like, it, you know, I I look at it from a perspective of both sort of conservation of character efficiency. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost that we can't handle too many complexities layered on one character. Like, he yeah. needs to be sort of binary because anything else is is too much to wrap <laughs> our heads around. We we are too simple. Mm -hmm. Well, 
and and question to your point. So he's your favorite Avenger. Was he at this point, or is it because of additions to his character over kind of the later films that kind of adds to that that puts him into that position? Well, so up to this point, we've had Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor. Um, right, and like Tony Stark was a lot of fun. But it was like, yeah, okay, but he's not really the kind of guy that I can see myself hanging out with. Like, yeah, I want to be Tony Stark. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not where I was in my life. And, you know, there's a lot going on with Hulk. And we'll just kind of take that and put that to the side. And then with <laughs> Thor, I, I, I mentioned this last season. I like the, the gravitas of early Thor that goes away once other directors come in with a different creative vision. And that, that's, again, we're going to pick that up and put that off to the side. So I, I like Thor, but there was a certain... Shakespearean quality to Thor that didn't kind of spark my fanboy interest. It didn't make me like, oh yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about what a great hero Thor is and the the journey and all that kind of stuff. So even in this point, I I did like Steve Rogers from the introduction of the character. That here's a guy who wants to do what's right. He is not physically equipped to stand up to the evil of the world, but that doesn't stop him. And that scene with him and Erskine in the examination room was like, I don't just I don't care much for bullies. I don't care where they came from. And that that spoke to the just the moral goodness of the character after complicated and nuanced characters like Tony Stark and Thor. Uh, it was just it was a breath of fresh air for me. Like, OK, here's here's a good guy. I, I want to see a movie about a good guy. And I'm I'm here for like like Pete said, I'm here for something a little simple. It's upon reflection as I think about it through my own lens of Christianity that I start to think, oh, yeah, but actually the more complicated characters make for some better, you know, moral uh, <laughs> reflection. Sure. Right. Sure. Well, and Steve does allow that like as and this is what I think is interesting about both your points about like his his place right now having kind of a more simpler feel there. They layer more complexity on his character in later films like they take what we have, but they give us a little more in the next film and a little more in the next film, Mm -hmm. always kind of building upon that. And so that is something that is interesting about him and really kind of to a certain extent, what they're saying about like that type of a hero yeah. and, and somebody who believes in their country and what mm-hmm. that means. So, yeah. All right. Really interesting. Uh, he's an interesting character and uh, I, I love talking about him because of all of these reasons. So um, awesome. I don't, I don't think we have anything else for this minute. Do either of you have any last thoughts? I got nothing else. Not for I me. I want to see what happens with this grease flagpole, Andy. Mm. I have to know. <laughs> oh, you will find out. You will find out in tomorrow's minute when we return. Uh, Father David Mowry, remind everyone where they can find you and learn more about what you do and uh, the podcast that you've guested on. Well, uh, you can find me at my website, fatherdavidmowry.com. Like I said yesterday, I've got links to all my various appearances on Movies by Minutes shows. Uh, if you are interested in hearing me talk about uh, a different World War II story. I was the host for two weeks of The Best Minutes, a po- Movies by Minutes podcast that went through the 1946 film The Best Years of Our Lives, which definitely takes a more nuanced approach to men <laughs> fighting in the war and uh, what it means to come home from that conflict and reintegrate into society. I had a lot yeah. of great guests on those two weeks to talk about the themes in that movie, and I'm really pleased with how those episodes turned out. So you can find that uh, on The Best Minutes minutes.com and you can look for my episodes there outstanding 
Fantastic. Uh, check that one out. It's a great movie and a lot of interesting conversations about that fantastic film. So uh, that's it for now. So we will be back tomorrow with Minute 23. Thank you so much, Pete. Andy, get that microphone out of the mud. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.